Good morning again, everyone. For the sake of the new folks here this morning, let me just kind of, uh, kind of bring them up to speed a little bit. We are right in the middle of a series that we began a couple of months ago, which we've entitled The Battle for Truth. And in the course of this series, we have been trying to warn you about certain false teachings that have come into the church. You know, Paul the Apostle said that uh, a faithful shepherd, it was his responsibility not only to lead and feed the flock of God, but to watch out for the wolves and to warn the sheep of false teaching when it tries to enter the church. Paul the Apostle did say, and we've used this verse many times, it's kind of like one of the foundational verses of this series, but in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, Paul said, Now the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, expressly says that in the latter times, the times just prior to Christ's return, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. So Paul warned us there was coming into the church these doctrines of demons. And we've been kind of focusing on some of these doctrines just to kind of give you a heads up. And I'm just going to launch into it today because we have a lot to cover, but one of the things I pointed out last week, one of the greatest deceptions that has come into the church, has infiltrated into the church over the last few years, is in the area of inner healing, or what some have called the healing of memories. Inner healing is nothing more than a blend of psychology and shamanism. A shaman was a witch doctor, a medicine man, um, a sorcerer. And of course, shamanism were the practices that these people in, engaged in to, to work their craft. Inner healing is nothing more than a blend of psychology and shamanism. As we said last week, and we're just kind of going to get a running start at this study today, just give you a little review. The whole concept of inner healing comes from the theories of Sigmund Freud, who got them from his patients when he hypnotized them and tried to regress them back into their childhood to find out why they were so neurotic, what their hang-ups were, what were the origin of all these hang-ups and things that they had. And he came to the conclusion that all that we are as adults can be traced back to the traumas that we suffered in our early childhood. This led him to develop a couple of myths, psychic determinism and the unconscious mind, which form the basis of all inner healing. But... It's just important right now that you understand that last time we got together, we said that we were going to focus this morning on one aspect or one technique used in inner healing, and that is visualization. We've touched on visualization earlier in this series, but I want to come back to it because almost all inner healing practice in the church today incorporates within it visualization is a necessary tool for receiving healing from the hurts of the past. But as we've already said, visualization and guided imagery have been practiced by those in the occult for thousands of years. And the whole basis for visualization really comes out of the ancient Hindu belief that the material universe, what we perceive as reality, is nothing more than an illusion created by our minds, called a maya. And since what we perceive as reality is nothing more than an illusion, if you don't like your particular reality, in other words, if you're sick, you want to be healthy, or you're poor, you want to be wealthy, 
or if you like someone and they won't give you the time of day, well, you can visualize in your mind a different reality. Visualize yourself healthy and vibrant or visualize yourself standing outside your mansion with your Rolls Royce in the driveway and, or visualize yourself walking hand in hand with this person uh, along the beach, you know, and you see, your reality is just an illusion. So you can change that reality by simply using the power of your mind. Now, again, I want to stop and just say this. I am not saying that any use of the imagination is occultic and therefore forbidden by God. God gave us our imagination. And it's a helpful tool, obviously, and especially if you're in a creative field, like you're an artist or an architect or screenwriter or engineer. It's very helpful to be able to visualize in your mind what you want something to be before you actually create it. And so we're not putting down the normal use of the imagination. What we're putting down and coming against is the occult practice of forming in your mind a mental image and then then concentrating on that image over and over again, thinking that that is going to bring that into reality. That is occultic. In the occult, there are three techniques in the practice of mental alchemy. What is mental alchemy? Again, it is the manipulating and or changing reality using the power of your mind. That's what mental alchemy is. It's using the power of your mind to manipulate or to change your reality. And in the practice of mental alchemy, there are three main techniques that are used. And believe it or not, all three have made inroads into the church today. And they are as follows. First of all, positive thinking. And again, I'm not just talking about being upbeat. I'm talking about thinking positive thoughts because you believe those positive thoughts will affect your reality. That has come into the church through the teachings of men like Norman Vincent Peale and Robert Schuller. Positive thinking. The second technique used in mental alchemy is the speaking of words. Occultists have long believed that there is power in the spoken word. That is the basis for hexes, mantras, spells, and so on. This has come into the church through the teachings of Kenneth Hagin, Kenneth Copeland, Benny Hinn, and all the others in the positive confession movement. The third is visualization. And shamans have always taught that of the three, visualization is by far the most powerful methodology for establishing contact with the spirit realm and the quickest way to pick up a spirit guide. In fact, Visualization is the foremost technique recommended by the spirits themselves that speak through today's most popular mediums. One spirit entity that, who calls himself Emmanuel said, and I'm quoting, the use of visualization is a most powerful tool for you to use, end quote. Now, folks, if the demons are recommending it, do you think the Church of Jesus Christ should really be messing with it? Again, remember what Paul warned us about. In the last days would come infiltrating into the church doctrines of demons given by deceiving spirits. And yet many Christians have been taught to use visualization in the practice of inner healing. We quoted last week H. Norman Wright, who is a Christian psychologist, known as one of the pioneers in this method of counseling. But he is not alone. There are many other Christian psychologists and pastors and leaders in the church who advocate the use of visualization in inner healing. And the idea is this. 
all of what you are today, okay, we're all a wreck. We're all a neurotic mess, okay, all of us, Christians and all. And so they're teaching that the only way you can be a fruitful Christian, a well-adjusted child of God, is that you've got to go back in the past and deal with all these repressed, painful memories that you've, that you've suffered. But they're repressed. You don't know when these things happened or where in your childhood. So what you need to do is visualize Jesus. And visualize Jesus coming to you, taking you by the hand, walking you back through time. He's the Lord of time. His presence fills eternity. And so they, they reason that it's legitimate to do that. And visualize Jesus walking you back. He knows where these hurtful things happened and where these painful memories lie in your past. He'll walk you back there to the point of the painful memory, lay his hands on you and heal you of that painful thing, and that will give you, correct any kind of destructive behavior in the present that you're experiencing. And it seems to work. The only problem is, as we pointed out last week, it doesn't matter if you're a Catholic and visualize Mary. It doesn't matter if you're a Buddhist and you visualize Buddha, or a Muslim and you visualize Muhammad, or an atheist and you visualize uh, Napoleon or Alexander the Great, or if you're an occultist and you visualize a coyote or, a, or a, uh, a wolf, what they call power animals that will walk you back into the past and devour the painful memory and make you a well-adjusted adult now in the present. All these folks get equally good results, not just evangelicals. Well, again, as we've already pointed out, psychic healers have said for a long time, Visualization is one of the most potent and widely used techniques in psychic healing. The Christian leaders that promote visualization defend it by saying that, yes, any occult use of visualization is wrong and dangerous, but it's okay for us as Christians to do it because actually God gave it to us and the devil ripped it off from us and he just counterfeited what God gave, so it's okay for us to do it. Well, I challenge you to go to the Word of God. You will not find anywhere in the Word of God where visualiz true visualization. I'm not talking about God giving visions to the people or the Bible admonish you, admonishing you as a believer to meditate on the Word of God. It's not the same thing. Those things are not telling you to use the power of your mind to create your own reality. I mean, where does God fit into a teaching like that anyways? If I, through the power of my mind, could create my own circumstances, my own reality, I don't need God. The Bible tells me I'm to pray, but then to say, Lord, but not my will, but thy will be done. Because you're the Lord, not me. I don't know what's best in my life, Lord. I, I think I know what's good in some areas, and I'll pray about that. But ultimately, I defer to your will. I don't want to be in control. I want God to be. I was in control of my life for a lot of years and messed it up pretty bad. Now as a Christian, I want him to control my life. And this teaching puts man back in the driver's seat. It just kind of jettisons the sovereignty of God. But there is no true visualization taught or practiced anywhere in the pages of Scripture for Satan to counterfeit. It's just not there. But what is absent in the Word of God has always been present in occult literature, always, for thousands of years. And yet today, Christians are being taught to visualize Jesus for healing or meditation purposes or as a prayer technique or for guidance in financial matters, or for help with difficult decisions. Visualizing Jesus or Mary for the purpose of prayer and spiritual renewal was the mysticism practiced by medieval Roman Catholics who were known as the Desert Fathers. Men like St. Ignatius, who founded the Jesuits, he taught his followers to visualize Jesus or Mary as a prayer technique 
and a way to draw close to God. Richard Foster, in his book, The Celebration of Discipline, which was written 30 years ago, helped to revive this teaching by passing it along to a new generation under the label of contemplative prayer, which those in the emerging church movement, along with others, have now embraced. So now a new generation is being introduced into spiritual practices that were not ever taught in the Bible, but go back to ancient medieval mystics and so on, which borrowed them from the occult. And now they're being revived in these last days. And books are being written, and many have been written, for youth pastors teaching them how to use breathing exercises to help their youth groups achieve a certain level of consciousness and meditation. What they're doing is it's teaching through these breathing techniques, these teaching these kids how to reach an altered state of consciousness, which opens them up to the spirit realm. Of course, the youth pastors think it's opening them up to God. But they don't realize through the use of a cult technique, you're opening these kids up to the spirit realm, all of it. In a witchcraft network newspaper, a practicing witch explains that the breathing exercises being adopted by Christians are, and I'm quoting her, the most important part of relaxing, and that this is the way children especially are being led into chakra work, meditation, trance work, and all other craft, i.e. witchcraft work. Well, after these young people, these, these, uh, these youth group uh, participants are taught to, to, to bring themselves into a kind of an altered state of consciousness, then they are told to image or visualize Jesus or God and to focus on this image, and, and I'm quoting these authors, it will speak to you. Leading these kids right into occultism, teaching them how to reach an altered state of consciousness, then to visualize Jesus or God, focus on the image, and it will come alive and speak to you. Mark Verkler, an associate pastor of a large church on the East Coast, says that through visualization, the Lord spoke to him and said, and I'm quoting, this is what now he believes God actually spoke to him about as he visualized Jesus. Remember that visualization is more than technique. It is an encounter with me. It is me. Nothing more, nothing less, just me. End quote. Again, Richard Foster in his book, Celebration of Discipline, has said, and I'm quoting, Hence, you can actually encounter the living Christ in the event, be addressed by his voice, and be touched by his healing power. It can be more than an exercise of the imagination. It can be a genuine confrontation. Jesus Christ will actually come to you, end quote. Again, in that same book, Foster writes, In your imagination, allow your spiritual body shining with light, to rise out of your physical body. Look back so that you can see yourself and reassure your body that you will return momentarily. Go deeper and deeper into outer space until there is nothing except the warm presence of the eternal creator. Rest in his presence. Listen quietly to any instruction given. End quote. Folks, this is astral projection occultism. Out-of-body experiences being promoted by a well-known, respected Christian author and leader. It's shocking. It's absolutely shocking. 
Dave Hunt, in his book, The Seduction of Christianity, asks the question, Who or what is this figure that becomes so real? What is going on in the visualizer's mind? In some of these experiences, it would appear that contact has been established with some spirit being. Moreover, what this so-called Jesus says and does as this fantasy motion picture being played on an imaginary mental screen begins to roll on its own seems to give valid answers to questions and solve perplexing problems. Is it possible that the same demonic beings who pose as spirit guides for occultists could appear to Christians as Jesus? Would demons be above using such a tactic? End quote. Well, let me tell you a little story. Years ago, I read a book by Joanna Michelson called The Beautiful Side of Evil. Maybe you've heard of it. Maybe some of you have even read it. She calls it The Beautiful Side of Evil because there is a beautiful side to evil. It is that deceptive part of evil that Satan puts a beautiful face on to deceive people into thinking that the experience that he is giving is good, it's of God, and so he baits people with the beautiful to drag them into the demonic. Well, Joanna Michelson was not a Christian when she, when she first relates this story. In fact, um, she was uh, heavily involved in the occult from the time that she was a little girl, thanks to the influence of her great-grandmother, who dabbled in the occult. And Joanna Michelson, as I said, was not a Christian, but she always thought herself to be a true Christian. She believed in Jesus. She believed in God. She just rejected the Bible as being too narrow, but she always considered herself to be a believer. Well, when she got to be a young woman, she joined herself to a psychic healer. And she relates all kinds of incredible stories of how this psychic healer healed people. That's a pretty positive experience, isn't it? Healed people, even did psychic surgeries on people. Incredible things. And Joanna thought this woman was absolutely incredible. What a spiritual woman. Look how she's helping people. And certainly people did walk away feeling helped. So sometime down the road, Joanna decided she wanted to develop her own psychic abilities. So she got involved with the Silver Mind Control class. And the first thing they did, which is common among all these types of things, was that they taught her how to breathe and how to go into a, a kind of a meditation which allowed her alpha waves, to, to, alpha waves to be lowered and put herself into a kind of an altered state of consciousness. They then taught her to visualize a room in her mind. Make it any way you want, they said. Decorate it anyhow, any way you want, doesn't matter. And imagine that there is an elevator that opens to this room. And then visualize the lights on the elevator, elevator coming down to the floor that you're on. And suddenly the doors open up and visualize your hero from history. Whoever you want. doesn't matter. But this person is going to become your spirit guide, your teacher of truth. Well, Joanna, since she considered herself a Christian, she decided to visualize Jesus. And so after a few times of practicing this technique, she said it was absolutely remarkable. All of a sudden, this Jesus came alive. It took on a personality of its own. It was no longer her imagining this entity was speaking. This thing actually was talking to her. 
He was solving problems for her. He was giving her advice that went way beyond her abilities. It was absolutely incredible, she said. Well, Joanna, by the grace of God, had a sister that was a genuine born-again Christian. And this sister had been praying for her and witnessing to her. And she told Joanna, Joanna, this is not Jesus. This is a demon masquerading as Jesus. At first, Joanna was very resistant because, again, she thought herself to be a Christian and her sister just a narrow-minded bigot. But by the grace of God, the sister began to get through. And she began to sow doubts in Joanna's mind as to whether or not this experience was really valid. So one day, she got into her trance-like state, visualized her room, visualized the elevator doors opening, and out came her Jesus. And she began to ask this Jesus a series of questions. She said to him, are you Jesus? He said, why, yes. Are you Jesus Christ? He said, of course. Are you the Jesus Christ that died on the cross and shed his blood for me? Instantly, this creature began to scream. And this room exploded in her mind. And for the first time, she realized that she had been part and parcel to a demonic deception. She went on to give her heart to the Lord and wrote this book, The Beautiful Side of Evil, warning Christians not to get involved in unbiblical occultic practices, no matter how well-intentioned they might be, because if you do, she said, you are opening yourselves up to demonic deception. The demons don't care. The demons don't play by rules. In a publication devoted to sharing guidance and wisdom from the loving beings of the spirit plane, a deceiving spirit that calls itself solely declares, however you perceive of us in the spirit dimension, that is how we shall appear to you. In the same witchcraft network newspaper that I mentioned earlier, the practicing witch that wrote the article explains how easily it is for those, and I'm quoting her, who do not follow our way, how easily it is for them to be led into witchcraft. Even Christians, she says, do not see the right, R-I-T-E, as a threat to their religious beliefs because the visualization allows them to put their own names and labels on the deities, end quote. Folks, there are a lot of Christians who are harboring under a great delusion, and that is this. If a cult is visualized, people, they can be deceived. But if Christians visualize Jesus, it's hands off. The demons can't do anything to us. That is absolutely untrue. Because God has told us very specifically in his word that we as his people are to have nothing to do with the occult. We're to have nothing to do with any kind of divination or occult practices like visualization. And if a Christian dabbles in these things... They open themselves up to the demonic deception that anybody who dabbles in these things will be opened up to. The demons don't play fair. They don't care if you visualize Jesus or Mary or Joseph or any, you can visualize anyone you want. They'll, they'll play the game. They'll come to you any way you want to deceive. That's why this is such a dangerous thing. So a lot of Christians, they, they don't mean any harm. They, 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 they really have a sincere motive. But you know what? There is a way that seems right unto a man. But in the end, there is a way of death. Just because you're sincere is not enough. You've got to go to the Word of God and find out what God has said 
concerning all spiritual practices, and then you follow what he has said, test all things, hold fast to that which is good and of God. Because if you don't, if you begin to dabble in things that are occultic, even if you are using them for Christian purposes, you are opening yourself up to demonic deception. Now, I know at this point, there's a lot of people that have practiced this kind of thing that would get very upset. And they would say, well, wait a minute. These things have helped me to draw close to God. I've never felt so close to God as I do now that I've been practicing this prayer technique, as they call it. I mean, I've gotten answers to problems. I have been, I have never had, experienced such peace. I have never felt closer to God. What is the big deal? Why is it wrong? First of all, experiences can be deceptive. Satan couldn't put a beautiful face on evil. He can make you think that an experience is drawing you closer to God when in fact it is not. And what is the big deal about practicing this kind of thing? The big deal is, first of all, that God forbid us from reducing him to an image. And that's exactly what visualization does. Turn with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 4. I want to just start off by reading verse 12. Before I do that, let me just say this. God is talking here. And he is reminding his people how that when he led them out of Egypt 40 years earlier and brought them to the base of Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, he purposely did not take any form. Here's what God said. And the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of the words but saw no form. You only heard a voice. Verse 15. Take careful heed to yourselves, for you saw no form when the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, out of the midst of the fire, lest you act corruptly and make for yourselves a carved image in, in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, or the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of any that creeps on the ground or the likeness of any fish that is in the water beneath the earth. Verse 23, take heed to yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of anything which the Lord your God has forbidden you. God went on to say in verse 25, if you do these things, it is evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, you need to understand that God is warning his people here not to reduce him to any kind of a carved image that they then use to represent him in their worship. The issue here, and listen to me, isn't the worship of false gods. God would deal with that in other places. Right here, though, what he's dealing with is the worship of the true God in a false way. He is saying, look, I specifically did not take any form when I led you out of Egypt, brought you to the base of Mount Sinai and spoke with you. You only heard the words. Why? Because I knew if I showed you a form, you would reduce me to an image and you would worship that image as me and that would be a false representation of me. Why? Because in Isaiah chapter 40, God said, To whom will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare to him? David said, in Psalm 139, where can I go from your what? Spirit. Jesus said, God is spirit. And those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. 
David said, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I descend, if I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. God is spirit and his spirit fills the universe. So what are you going to reduce him? What kind of an image are you going to make to represent him? Because no matter what image you make, it can't properly represent an infinite God, and therefore it's a false representation. If you use it in worship, then you're worshiping God in a false way. Besides, God did not want his people to get into the habit of thinking of him in terms of the statue on their dresser, or the crucifix on their wall, or the medal that hung around their neck. That's not God. And when we begin to reduce God to images like that, then we come to think of those things as God in a sense. They represent God to us. But they are a false representation. And God forbid it. Because they could never, ever represent the infinite God who is spirit. Now you might be thinking, wait a minute. All right, God forbid his people from making carved images of him. But he didn't say anything about mental images. That's what visualization is. Mental images of God. Listen. Every carved image, every carved image starts as a mental image in the imagination, in the mind of the idol maker. Every image. Every carved image starts as a mental image in the imagination of the idol maker. And to say it's, to say it's okay for us to make an image of God in our minds through visualization, that's okay. But it's not okay to take it to the next step and carve it out of wood or stone. That's idolatry. That's ridiculous. It's nothing more than mental idolatry, pure and simple. You're reducing God to an image, something that he has forbidden. It doesn't matter if you take it to the next step and actually make something out of wood or stone or precious metal to represent the image in your mind. It doesn't matter. If it starts in the mind as a mental image, it's idolatry. As one evangelical author rightly said, and I quote, God cannot be reduced either to a physical image or a the theological abstract. He is a personal spirit, and he must be worshipped in the fullness of the infinity of his eternal being. Worship, no matter how beautiful or consistent or well-intentioned it is, is unacceptable if it is directed to a false god, end quote. Look, the idea that I can summons Jesus anytime I want, Anytime I want, he's at my beck and call. I can just summon him from the right hand of the Father like he's a servant boy to come and to talk with me and give me advice and so on and so forth. It's ridiculous at best and sacrilegious at worst. Besides that, remember the night before Jesus was going to go to the cross in the upper room? Remember what he said to his disciples? He said, look, I've got to go away soon. And where I'm going, you cannot come, not yet. And I know that your hearts are filled with sorrow because I'm saying these things to you. But hang in there. I'm not going to leave you alone like orphans. I'm going to send you another helper, the Holy Spirit, who will abide with you forever. And take heart, because I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, if visualization was a legitimate spiritual practice that God wanted us involved in, why at this point didn't Jesus say, look, I know your hearts are filled with sorrow. I'm leaving. You can't come with me, but it's okay. Because I'm going to teach you a way whereby 
I can come to you anytime you want. It's called visualization. Let me show you how it works. He didn't say that. He didn't even intimate there was anything like that he wanted his people involved in. Even after his resurrection, before he ascended back to the Father, he appeared to various people at different times. Paul tells us it was first to Peter. Then he goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 15, After that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James, and then by all the apostles. And then, last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. It's obvious from what Paul is saying here that the Lord picked when and to whom he would appear. It wasn't that the disciples could simply conjure him up anytime they wanted to, to talk with him or to meet with him. The Bible assures us that one day, and not before, we are going to be like him. Why? Because we're going to see him as he is. And until then, any attempt on our part to see him until he reveals himself to us is unbiblical and forbidden. Remember, when Jesus appeared to his disciples that evening of his resurrection, they were in the upper room. Thomas was not there. And so the Lord appeared to the disciples, and they were all excited. They thought he was a ghost, first of all, but he said, look, touch me. See, I'm flesh and bone. The Spirit doesn't have flesh and bone as you see I have. Well, then the Lord left. Thomas, who was out, came sometime later in the evening, and the disciples were all excited and said, Thomas, you missed it. The Lord was here. What did Thomas say? I will not believe unless I see it for myself, and I put my hand in the, into the spear wound in his side and my fingers into the nail prints in his hand. A week later, they were all in the upper room again. This time, Thomas is with them, and the Lord appeared again. And the Lord said, Thomas, come here, son. Go ahead. Put your hand in my side and your fingers in my nail prints. And don't be unbelieving, but be believing. And Thomas immediately responded, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said in John 20, verse 29, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Well, Peter picked up on that. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, Peter said, Whom having not seen, you love, speaking of Jesus. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Now, if visualization was something that Jesus actually taught his men to do, why, why did Peter say that? I mean, Peter should have said, well, you know, guys... You can see him anytime you want. Just visualize him. Didn't he tell us to do that and so on? No, he didn't say that at all. Now, those who are advocating this kind of thing, they get really upset and they begin to say, well, what are you talking about? I mean, people had visions all throughout the Bible. I'm not down on visions if God gives them. All the visions in the Bible that people had, God gave. And if God gives you a vision of himself, that's fine. I have no problem with that. In fact, when God gives a vision of himself to somebody, it's called revelation. If I try to conjure up a vision of God on my own, it's called divination. And that's forbidden. Divination is any 
technique or methodology for conjuring up God, Jesus, or any spirit for any purpose. Let me give you just a few more scriptures and we'll close. Jeremiah chapter 14, verse 14. And the Lord said to me, now Jeremiah was living at a time when people had gotten heavily into the occult. And yet they were still worshiping God. They had just brought it into the worship of God, like many are doing today in the church. Didn't see a problem with it at all. But listen to what God said. God said, the prophets prophesy lies in my name. I have not sent them, commanded them, nor spoken to them. They prophesy to you a false vision, divination, a worthless thing, and the deceit of their own heart. In Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 10, God is speaking to his people. Listen to how he, call, what he, how he addresses them. This evil people who refuse to hear my words. It almost sounds like what Paul said, what happened in the last days. That people in the church would not want to hear sound doctrine anymore, but would want their ears tickled. And so there would gather to themselves teachers who would tell them what they want to hear, would tickle their ears. Same thing. This evil people who refuse to hear my words, who follow the dictates of their own hearts and walk after other gods, to serve them and worship them shall not be profitable. And again, I could just, I could just hear the people back then in Jeremiah's day. All right, I've got this image of Jehovah. I've made this little statue, but it really helps me to worship him. I mean, it really helps me to focus on it and visualize. And I just imagine it's him, and, and it really helps me in, in my worship. God says it's a false God. Those who practice these things will not be spiritually profitable at all. Jeremiah 23, verse 16. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. They speak a vision of their own heart and not from the mouth of the Lord. It's divination, not revelation, God is saying. I'll give you one more. The Lord Jesus Christ, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, what day? The day of judgment, the day when they stand before him and give an account. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. These are the false prophets that Paul warned us about, and Peter, and Jude, and James, and Jesus. They're going to stand before God someday and give an account. Let me ask you this as we close. Could these individuals be on the earth alive today? Is it possible that they are on Christian television and Christian radio? And in the pulpits of some of our churches? Didn't the Lord warn us that the time just prior to his return would be characterized by unprecedented spiritual deception? A deception so rampant and perverse and pervasive it would even come into the church. There, that's why Jesus said, beware, that's why I'm warning you beforehand. 
If it would be possible, it would deceive even the very elect. That's why I'm warning you. Didn't Paul warn us that in the last days, does anyone here think that we're not in the last days? Didn't Paul warn us that in the last days, some would depart from the faith? He didn't talk about leaving the church. He said some would depart from the faith while they were in the church, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Folks, if these things that we're talking about this morning are not doctrines of demons, could you please explain to me what are? I mean, if the things that we've been talking about in this series are not doctrines of demons, I mean, they've come out of the occult. People in the occult have gotten them from spirit guides. The church has brought them into the church, Christianized them, passing them off as biblical Christianity. If these things that we've been talking about don't qualify as doctrines of demons, I would like to know what does then. You've got men like Kenneth Hagin running around going, have faith in your faith. Is it faith with some kind of a mind power that I could use to manipulate my reality? If that isn't a doctrine of demons, you explain to me what is. We are in the last days. And it should be no surprise that we look around the church that the doctrines of demons that Paul warned us about are here. And they're here to stay, by the way. The only hope is that the faithful remnant not be sucked into the deception too. No matter how great the apostasy in the past, I'm talking about Israel now. And the nation slipped into some pretty severe apostasy. God always had a faithful remnant. Remember that? Remember Elijah got discouraged one time because, you know, he was like, the, he felt he was the only person really representing God. And he came before God very discouraged one time and said, Lord, just kill me. I, I can't take it anymore. Nobody likes me. I try to teach the truth. They all hate me. I'm the only one, Lord, that loves you and is really standing up for truth. God says, Elijah, I've got 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to Baal or kissed his image. There are the faithful remnant in the church of Jesus Christ. Folks, there's a, there's a tremendous assault being waged on the truth. We are battling for truth, whether we realize it or not. These are the last days. The spirit of iniquity is already at work in the world, preparing people to receive the Antichrist and his satanic gospel. The, the sad, horrific thing about it is it's coming into the church. And many well-intentioned Christians who are lacking in discernment. Why? Because they are not really reading the scriptures to get out of it what God has said. They're reading into it what their spiritual gurus are teaching. We just had a couple of young ladies walk out, I assume, because I maybe attacked one of their gurus. It's sad. There is a, a celebrity, a guruism in the church of Jesus Christ. God forbid you should try to correct some guy on the, who's on the TV. These men speak to thousands. They got worldwide ministries. How dare you touch the Lord's anointed? I don't advocate touching the Lord's anointed. Don't hurt the guy. But I'm going to rebuke those who claim to represent God if they're teaching heresy and false doctrine. And so may God help us to continue. Now, in a couple of weeks, I'll just set the stage a little bit. When we come back, 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into, by far, the most deadly and deceptive doctrines of demons that have ever infiltrated into the church. And I may lose some of you. I, I hope not. I may lose some of you because what we're going to talk about, I tell you what, is a sacred cow to, to many in the church today. It's like motherhood and apple pie. It's a given. You dare not question it. I'm talking about psychology. You come back in a couple of weeks, we'll talk about psychology and where it has really come from. Oh, but Christian psychology is okay, right? You come back, we'll talk about that. <laughs> Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. It is a light unto our path, a lamp unto our feet. And Father, if we walk in the light of your truth, we will never go astray or stumble in darkness. But Father, your people are leaving the sound teaching of your word and seeking after experiences that seem positive and beautiful and like they are drawing them closer to you, but in reality they are demonic to the core. They are doctrines of demons given to the church by seducing spirits. And Lord, forgive us that we as leaders in the church have not been more discerning. So many pastors have actually opened their doors and invited the wolves to come in and preach. Forgive us, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that this little church would always walk in your truth. That, Lord, we would be Bereans, and everything we hear any teacher teach, we would go back to the Word of God and check it out to make sure it's biblical. And we just thank you, Lord, for your Word. We don't have to go anywhere else. The Word of God is sufficient. May your people rediscover the sufficiency of your Word. And may they no longer be going to the polluted wells of the world to find anything for life and godliness. It's not there. It can only be found in our relationship with Jesus, in the power of the Spirit, and in the Word of God. Thank you, Lord. We know that your coming is near. Even at the door, Lord Jesus, you are coming soon. It's obvious. May we be faithful soldiers of Christ, earnestly contending for the faith once delivered to the saints. For we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.